Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the Bryce Harper Sweepstakes. Are you trying to recruit Bryce Harper? Because apparently the San Francisco Giants are. Apparently every team in America is trying to, to recruit Bryce Harper. I'm pretty sure every sport is trying to recruit Bryce Harper. Uh, the NFL, the NBA, of course the MLB, the UFC, MMA, Bellator, WWE has already contacted him. See if he wants to have a fight with for Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania for the Universal title. I'm pretty sure my gym, my gym has contacted him to see if he'd be interested in being a personal trainer. This is nonstop. In fact, we've contacted him to see if he'd like to be a host of the Goldcast. Why? For no other reason than we just don't like to be left out of things. That's why we're here. Now, Raymond, before we get <laughs> bring on Bryce, <laughs> before we get started, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment. We love to hear from you. We are on multiple platforms, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast. But for now, like, subscribe, and comment. Yes. All right, here we go. Huge episode. So much to discuss. So little time. We are going to talk about, uh, give our final thoughts on the Super Bowl. What can we say that's already been said? Oh, you just wait. We've got plenty to say that hasn't been said. Then we're going to go on. There's so much 49ers and the Oakland Raiders drama about them trying to come to San Francisco to play. Not going to happen. Sorry. Antonio Brown drama. Wes Welker. The Warriors. And of course, this Bryce Harper sweepstakes. The Giants are part of it now. All this. Yeah, I guess he plays baseball. I guess he's pretty good. Oh, he's on that Nationals team we always beat in the postseason. Yes, we've beat him. Ah. He's been on the losing end of that every time he faces us. Every time he's faced us in the postseason. I remember now. I remember him. We'll get to that. We will. But before we do, as always, the greatest podcast intro in the game let's get busy san francisco are you ready this is the gold cast boom welcome to another edition of the gold cast we are the voice of the bay i'm your host rudy suisa third and with me is my brother my co-host redmond salisa the first baby Boom. Yeah, baby. Here we go. Okay, so Super Bowl 53 is in the books. It's done, Ray. Thank God. Thank God the season is over because now we can begin focusing and getting ready for our next season as we reset and re-begin once again our long quest for six. The longest quest for six any quest for six has ever taken. I think the only quest for six that's in existence. So I feel like we're what... I feel like we're playing for a quest for health, just for guys to last <laughs> an entire season. It's a quest for six, but it's also a quest for longevity. Can we get some some healthy guys on the team? For Christ's sake, jeez, a quest for health. <laughs> 49, 49ers, twenty nineteen twenty twenty season. The quest hashtag the quest for health. <laughs> That's really funny, Raymond. That was really funny. Yeah, I, I agree. I believe it is a quest for health and a quest for six. Uh, six what? I'm not even sure yet. I'm not even sure what six we're chasing for. I don't know. Maybe that's it, Raymond. Maybe six less injuries. That's what we're. That's what the six stands for. 
you know that'd be huge <laughs> that, that would, would be, be huge <laughs> it would be so let's start first i posted this on on twitter a couple things i posted one i posted this one if you go on if you go on twitter and see this post one of my middle posts i put well the old adage still rings true defense wins championships without a doubt without question here we are biggest offensive driven league biggest offensive season ever the rules have changed the things have changed this is going to be different we don't even know if this is still going to matter if defense is even going to ring true and then look what happened we have the most defensive minded Super Bowl we've had in years I mean that score looked like something out of Super Bowl 6 or 5 or 4 anything from the 60s and 70s like those really low scoring Super Bowls and here we are we have this huge defensive game and I actually wrote on Twitter I wrote I wrote that the uh, <clears throat> what did I say? I said that the old adage, you know, defense still wins championships. And then I hashtagged. I thought I hashtagged Super Bowl fifty three, but I accidentally hashtagged Super Bore fifty three, <laughs> which I didn't mean to. <laughs> so it sounded like yes. I was bashing the Super Bowl. I actually enjoyed the Super Bowl. I thought it was a great, a really great defensive battle between. Wade Phillips and Bill Belichick. I mean, you have these two old school coaches who have combined, I don't even know, 1,000 years in the NFL. And it was an amazing display of coaching ability because both of them were like, your def- your offense is not going to touch my defense. And the defense was, were just shutting down those offenses. It was pretty incredible. But here's what I find the most interesting. And then I'll let you comment on everything I just said. Like I mentioned before, in 2012, I also wrote this on Twitter, on 2012, a second-year head coach took an NFC West team to 13-3, and then took, got second place in the NFC, won the NFC Championship on the road, went into the Super Bowl, was probably most definitely the more talented team, but still lost the Super Bowl. And that was, of course, our beloved San Francisco 49ers. Isn't that a trip? How the Rams essentially completely repeated history like i mean verbatim verbatim as far as record 13 and 3 second in the nfc winning the champ nfc championship on the road then losing in the super bowl to a team they were probably better than they just simply kind of the the niners got shook i mean the rams definitely got shook but the rams the niners kind of ran out of time but the rams got shook and never really seemed to recover jared goff looked like a shell of himself i don't understand after a while i was like just snap out of it dude you're in the super bowl get over it. it's still a game win this football game Anyways, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's definitely a lot of parallels to the comparison you brought up, albeit with the exception that the Rams last year during the offseason basically broke majority of their bank acquiring a bunch of all-star defensive players to complement their star-studded offense. And although they never quite really gelled the way everyone expected them to gel, at least the way it was suggested on paper they did come out during the the end of the year they started to come together a little bit more and throughout the playoffs they played much better and in super bowl they were pretty much the they they were the one aspect that kept the rams in the game for the most part but eventually you know they got tired enough to allow 13 points but even that 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 wouldn't have won you a single you know regular season game for the past two years against the Rams for the most part. So the fact that the Rams couldn't muster anything past three points is pretty shocking 
considering that the Patriots defense was not known or touted as anything, you know, anything reminiscent of stingy or gritty like the way they played. But sure enough, they uh, they came they came and showed out when it mattered most. And I think your mistake is a blessing in disguise. Your Twitter your Twitter mistype because I thought it was a super bore. I was not watching the game for the most part. I was checking in periodically. You know, it's it's for me, it's like I don't have a dog in the fight, so I'm less motivated to watch the game. Although I wanted the Rams to win, I had my doubts, and my prediction was based more on emotional bias versus actual, you know, in-depth analysis and reasoning, although I tried to apply some of that because I do believe that they had all the tools. They had more than enough tools to take down New England, but the pass rush couldn't get to Tom Brady which is the number one thing you need to do because you can stop the run all you want which the Rams did for the most part but the Patriots are more than comfortable playing the one trick pony game in fact they they've done that before they they don't mind that oh you mean Tom Brady has to throw the whole game now okay no problem whereas the Rams are the are conversely do not operate in the same fashion. They're a younger team. They're only two years into this regime and and with this scheme. And Jared Goff heavily depends on play-action pass, which is set up by Todd Gurley's excellent running. But Todd Gurley's been injured off and on. He hasn't been himself throughout this uh, the last stretch of the last few home games and throughout the playoffs. And even that extra week off didn't seem to get him back on track or even remotely close to his older self. So I knew that that going in there was going to be a huge factor because that's what I've said it, you know, numerous times throughout the season. The the easiest way to beat the Rams is you take out their running game. You force Jared Goff to beat with his arm because he's not that type of quarterback. He's like a, he's like a Colin Kaepernick. And I don't necessarily mean that skill wise, but I mean that Colin Kaepernick played well when he had a terrific supporting cast around him. But he was not the type of quarterback that would make his teammates around him better because he would not elevate the play of his teammates. And Jared Goff is the same way, where he's he's got he's got a good arm, he can scramble, he can make reads, you know, sometimes. He's mostly but it's mostly quick passes, it's one read go. It rarely does he is he is he put in situations where he has to go to his other reads. He telegraphs a lot of his passes. That's why they're designed to be very quick and out fast, because that's the way the Rams play. They play very similar to the old Rams that won in the early two thousands with Kurt Warner. And if you, but although Kurt Warner was an uh, exceptional passer and could read defenses and go through progressions much more, much better than Jared Goff has. But Jared Goff is still very young in his career. He has time to get better. But as it stands right now, the easiest way to beat Jared Goff is to take out his running game because without play action pass, he's a deer in a headlight. He telegraphs all of his throws to his first reads and it makes things very easy for the defense. He, and there was a lot of pressure that was, I think he was sacked like four or five times throughout the Super Bowl. And, you know, that's usually enough to disrupt, uh, to, to win you a game in most cases, if you can get to a quarterback, you know, even two, three sacks and pivotal moments, because it's a game of inches, uh, a lot of times will win you games if they're, if they come at key moments. And for the Rams, you know, they just need to, Goff needs to get better. They need to not be so reliant on Gurley. And because right now I feel like they're very easy to scheme against. Uh, although to be fair, 
Gurley's really hard to stop, and for the most part, he got the him and him and the rest of the team got the best of the NFL thirteen times. So that's enough to earn you a trip to the Super Bowl in this case. And so it's 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 not it's hard to argue with the with the formula because it's very much proven the last two years and th- throughout most of Gurley's career so far. He had like one down season, but he's been excellent so far for the. He's been pretty much the top top three back in the NFL, top two most likely. So for me, um, anyways, to wrap up, I just wasn't really into it. I wanted the Rams to win, but I knew they weren't going to win because I knew that to to for Belichick, who's a great defensive mind, to scheme against a team like that was going to be a piece a piece of cake. You know, even for someone like me that is not NFL qualified, you know, I don't get paid to do analysis, but I know enough to know I know enough about the Rams to say that you know if you make them a one-trick pony, you're going to have your chances of successfully beating them is pretty high pretty high up on the the probability scale, you know, and it, it stems from Todd Gurley. He sets up the screen pass. He sets up the play action. You take that away from Jared Goff. There's not much he can do against you. Tom Brady's very different. You know, he's been playing the league for almost 20 years now, and he now has six rings as much as Michael Jordan, which to me is a travesty. But, you know, that's just where we're at now. So um, I'm glad it's over because now I'm focusing on Jimmy G, the offseason. You know, the, the Giants are coming up in a couple months and the Warriors are on a roll. Yeah, let's we're going to talk about all that today in a second here, but let's move on. Uh, last thing. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I wanted to mention this. I saw the Super Bowl with Louis B, our L.A. correspondent who loves to come on to the Gold Cast from time to time. Louis B. And boy, was he heartbroken. Was he one sad puppy? And I was like, I can only imagine. That's what I said. I said, I understand. We've I was been. there. Mm-hmm. Definitely was there. All right, here we go. The 49ers have refused to give up their territorial rights as well they should not and have blocked the Oakland Raiders from playing in San Francisco. I can't believe, I'm just going to go on a rant here real quick. I can't believe, Oakland, that you actually thought you were going to be able to get away with this and play on our turf, in our area, in our city. How dare you? How fucking dare you? I can't believe this. I was I was appalled. Now, in order for them to actually get this in, they would need every, a unanimous vote from all every team in the NFL to vote, overturn the 49ers and say, no, we want them to play in San Francisco, which I don't think is going to happen. Just due to the political affiliations, I just do not see this happening. What are your thoughts on this? I just can't even believe they even tried this. I was appalled. This would be like the Dodgers going, uh, we don't have a stadium, so we're going to go play in San Francisco. I mean, maybe not quite that bad, but pretty bad. I mean, this is this is the, one of our largest cross-conference rivals of all time, historically the biggest of all time. You know, to me, it was like, I feel like the Niners, first of all, the Niners, this kind of, it almost stems back to, you know, Al Sacco brought up a, an interesting thought where he feels like the Niners block of the Raiders, while extremely appropriate, also has some suggestive ties to where the 49ers play in Santa Clara and don't have a stadium in the city and to allow their cross-county rival to play in San Francisco, 
I think would be an insult to that whole process that we ended up with, that we ended up in Santa Clara. But also, you know, it's just cumbersome for our other sports team, the Giants, to play in a, in a baseball park. I know the Oakland Coliseum used to do that with the Raiders. And, but with the Giants, the Giants stadium was specifically designed for baseball. It was not designed to host uh, those two particular sports. Um, it's, it's a baseball stadium first and then a, a venue second for concerts and other social events. But it, it's even it's, it's so it's so uh, counterintuitive to the way a football field is arranged, even that the sidelines wouldn't be opposed to one another like they are in a traditional stadium. Both teams would actually have to stand on the same sideline together, which I don't think I don't think any team in the NFL would be comfortable doing that. That's just not the way things run. I think you, if it's a heated game, you're really asking for trouble in that regard. Although I wouldn't be surprised if there was kind of some some kind of barrier between where the two teams uh, ended up in the on the same side there, but. There's those reasons, but there's also, it's like, I feel like the former reason uh, makes a little bit even more sense. Not only are there territorial rights, you would be forfeiting that the Niners and most NFL teams and sports teams are very protective of, but there's also the optics of not having your 49ers team that still is even called the San Francisco 49ers playing in the city, but then you have the Oakland Raiders playing in literally in San Francisco. Um, so I think that would just, it would just, you know, as Matt Mayoko pointed out in his article, it just set a bad precedent too for future teams, you know, to do that. You know, imagine if, I don't know, it would, I think it'd be bad for the league and I'm glad the Niners did it. And I, the fact that the Raiders would need the all other owners in order to approve it or even, v, so they can either approve of the Raiders unanimously together or they can veto the 49ers block. It's it's either or. I don't see the owners coming together and allowing this because the owners are already not really keen on the whole deal to Las Vegas in the first place. I think some of them are and some of them aren't. The deal's kind of gone a little south since it was initially put together and you know the, the two sides are not necessarily... Um, it's, it's not necessarily, it hasn't been the smoothest process since it came together. And overall, I'm just happy that they did block them. Cause I don't, I don't need the Raiders and we don't need the Raiders in our baseball stadium. That's, that's just the bottom line. It's bad enough. We're in Santa Clara. Absolutely. I completely, I completely agree. And to me, this is all I have to say. And I wish old man Davis was here, but unfortunately he's in that great, great, Oakland Stadium in the sky. Get your shit together, Oakland. Get the hell out of our backyard. Just move already. Sorry, the five Oakland fans who listen to us. Uh, Pete, who's sometimes on the show. But old man Davis, if you're listening to this somewhere in that big Oakland Stadium in the sky, get your team's shit together and go away. On a more positive note, or actually less positive, or equally as dramatic, uh, yeah, there's not a smooth transition for that one. Antonio Brown. So ESPN had this top top 10 bold predictions article that they put out. And number three was that Antonio Brown would lead the league in receptions for San Francisco 49ers. Dun, 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 dun. But that may all well not be the case if we're dealing with domestic violence issues. Raymond, why don't you break this down? Because it's not quite as clear cut it's very muddled as some of these 
some cases the uh, like these sometimes are like with Ruben Foster is pretty muddled. It like it's really hard to dif- differentiate who's telling the truth and what's happening because there's just so many conflicting reports. And I feel like we have another kind of weird case in front of us right now. Yeah, and with Ruben Foster, it's to me the impression I get is that a he had a rough upbringing and he's got some attitude problems, but at the same time he's also got a very dramatic girlfriend that tends to let likes to dramatize situations. Um, whether something happened to her or not is still remains unclear. Although we know that she admitted to lying in the first case and in the second case, went on Good Morning America, and then later on it seems like the case is is being dismissed or or dropped or something to that nature but with antonio brown i guess he pushed the mother of his daughter back in january in florida which is where he's from and but the i guess she she was at his place they're not together or married but she was at his place she refused she was at his front door and she refused to leave and then he told her to leave on numerous times. She re- and then she refused to do that. And then and she, I think she wedged herself in the doorway, or I, at least that's what that's what's that's how it comes off to me in the report. And then he pushed her out of that wedge. And you know, you're we're talking. I mean, I'm taller than Antonio Brown, but Antonio Brown is pure muscle. So any kind of shove to someone you know lesser his size, I think you know, I think she she fell down. And I guess she has some abrasions and some some scratches and stuff, but she didn't want to complete a victim affidavit. The NFL is investigating it. Um, he has full custody of his daughter. The, the woman didn't want to provide a statement or press charges and asked to retract her report after she made the report. So we have somebody that's kind of initially kind of made a stink about it, but is now kind of backpedaling a little bit. And I'm not sure why uh, anybody's guess is as good as mine. And uh, Antonio Brown was not arrested. But the optics of the initial report obviously looked bad, especially considering the fact that Jimmy G pushed George Kittle to help recruit Antonio Brown as soon as all of this started. And that he's been, Antonio Brown has been, you know, wildly open with the fact that he has a desire to come here. He had that graphic put together of him and Jerry Rice, which is completely, you know, edit photoshopped. But to even go through that kind of effort, you know, someone if if you if you really want to play for a team, you you know, if he wanted to play for Pittsburgh, that would be the the most backhanded ruse I've ever seen. You know, so to me, the impression is that he wants to come to San Francisco. He's not trying to do this in order to gain some kind of leverage with the Steelers to get a new contract. Although I'm sure, you know, that's not completely, uh, that's not a, it's that option's not off the table, but he's very clear about where he wants to be right now. And so anyways, but it, it looks bad. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of the pundits out there don't think that we can get Brown because the Pittsburgh would ask too, too high of a price. Very, very akin to perhaps the same, you know, top shelf price tag that, Anthony Davis has in the NBA and a lot of, and you know, the Lakers talk with them. It seems to be falling, falling to the wayside because new Orleans is asking for the world. Um, And I think Pittsburgh's case will be very similar. I would expect a deal to be to get Brown. You would have to pay something similar to what the bears paid to get Khalil Mack. And that's a young player in his prime. We're talking about a 30 
one-year-old uh, who's in the, you know, who's going to be hitting the twilight of his prime very soon in a season or two, arguably. Although if he takes care of his body, like say a Jerry Rice or something, he could last a, a, another, you know, five, he could have still have like five good years left. But, you know, it's, um, it's unfortunate that this happened. And I know John Lynch is really, really, really strict. The, the Niners front office as a whole is very strict about these kinds of incidents. And if this is something that's going to be following Antonio Brown, and this is the second time he's been involved with the police to some capacity in his hometown of Florida, or home state of Florida, then that's something that the Niners are going to take a look at. They're going to take into consideration before putting any offer on the table. And, you know, and the fact that he's older and a veteran player and this is happening, you know, that doesn't look very good either. It's one thing to be a young player that can be coached and can grow and hopefully evolve and become a better citizen. But for someone in Antonio Brown's position, I think it looks even worse because it's like, hey, you're a proven player with a track record, with a reputation. Your 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 trip to Canton when your career's over is pretty, pretty locked. For the most part, and if you put any more accolades into your resume, then you're a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. But for you to be doing stuff like this at this stage of your career, not good. Especially when you're trying to, you know, leverage yourself to play for an up and coming team versus, you know, your 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 the team that drafted you. So it looks bad. And I think if anyone had hope for Antonio Brown. I think some of the, I think a lot of that hope was lost in something like this. This this certainly doesn't help his case. That's for sure. Here's the frustrating part. You know, I and you we have had relationships that have ended, and you know what I've never been a part of. I've never been a part of a muddled, confusing domestic violence case because I don't hit women. It's really simple. And here's the thing. I don't care what she was doing. You don't push a woman onto the ground. This is really simple. A, it's wrong morally. And B, what are you stupid? Like, have you not seen everything that's already occurred with every other player who's done anything remotely in this arena? It's not going to be tolerated in any way, shape, or form. He better pray. I mean, I don't know. For, I don't know. I'm not saying there is one. I'm not implying there is one. But God, he better hope that's not on video because then his career is definitely over because the NFL seems to differentiate between on video or not on video. Who knows why? I don't agree with it. But this is the world we live in. And it's just really frustrating because it's really easy to not be involved in a domestic violence situation. You know how you do it? You just don't involve yourself in domestic violence. I don't know. Be a man and keep your hands off a woman for crying out loud. Gosh. You know, these are things that you and I don't necessarily like to really get heavy-handed on. This is not one of those preachy podcasts where we talk about, you know, a lot of we stay out of a lot of political stuff. We stay a lot of a lot of more the more controversial side. We like to keep things light on the gold cast. It's why you love us. It's why we love you. But come on, don't be so stupid. Come on. Seriously. It's really frustrating because you know what? I I like Antonio Brown. I think he's a great player. I enjoy watching him and I want to continue to enjoy watching him, but it makes it really hard when when information like this comes out and I under, and what makes it even more harder is that it's muddled and the truth seems weird and I can't trust anybody involved. And that is really frustrating cuz I want to just trust you. I always trusted Joe Montana growing up. I always trusted Steve Young growing up. I always trusted Jerry Rice growing up. I always trusted these guys. I never had an issue with these guys. These guys never caused any problems. Not that I remember. Maybe someone out there will fact check me and go, well, don't forget about this article from 1981, but I 
I literally have no memory of that stuff. I grew up loving these guys, and I never saw any controversial issues with them. I don't understand why it's so hard to to just walk a straight and narrow path, bust your butt, play the best game you can play, and and that's it. I don't understand why it's so hard. Yeah, and even uh, Terrell Owens. Uh, Terrell Owens was as far as my recollection goes, was controversial on the field. And, and it was because he was a very self-absorbed player, but even he was never involved in domestic violence issues off the field. He was always a on the field controversy because he had a hard time getting along with teammates, was a diva. Reminds me a lot of Barry Bonds. Uh, Barry Bonds is the same way. He was very controversial on, on the field. Um, one of those kind of players, Antonio Brown, I don't know what it is. You know, when you said like, when you're not seen, that's, that's what I mean. Like the optics of him being a veteran player and putting himself in a negative context, just, I find it to be frustrating and, and also mind boggling because you do have so many examples and it almost seems like every year there's one or two cases that comes up either during the season or during the off season with an NFL player you know, getting involved in something, uh, some, some kind of domestic dispute. And it just looks really, really bad. And, and I'm like, I'm like, if, is Antonio Brown so self-absorbed that he doesn't notice these other things and he's just wrapped up in his bubble, his, the bubble of being Antonio Brown, that he's just doesn't take note of what's happening around him. And, you know, and then, and in turn put forth an effort to not hurt people in any capacity, I mean, it's unfortunate, and if there was if there was any if there was any traction of of it was if there was any gain in traction in the Antonio Brown sweepstakes, I think something like this certainly wipes any of that progress away. Agreed. It's frustrating. Uh, very frustrating. Hey, it's real simple. Just don't be involved in domestic violence. That's all you got to do. Just don't be involved in domestic violence. It's really simple. Yeah. Don't. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. So be a good, be a good guy. guy. Let's move on. Wes Welker has been hired. Yeah, good as news. The wide receivers coach for the 49ers. Uh, I, the thing I love about Wes Welker is he brings a veteran leadership to the group. How's his coaching? I have no idea. But I'll tell you what. The thing I like about Wes Welker is he's a fighter. This is a guy that fought really hard and was there during those years when the the Patriots just could not seem to win a Super Bowl, and it was the opposite when they just couldn't seem to close it, and he just he kind of missed these two dynasty eras. He was right there in the middle, but he always had a really positive outlook. Such a great fighter, great great player. Um, not the biggest guy in the world, so I think you know always had to play with a chip on his shoulder. Always had to strive for that extra yard, extra inch to be competitive. And I think he just brings a veteran leadership to that group that, to me, is very well welcomed. I'm excited to have Wes Welker here. What do you think? I think it's great. He was an offensive assistant for the Houston Texans, and now he's been elevated to wide receivers coach. So he's gotten a promotion. Which means that if you don't do good in the NFL, you typically don't get a promotion. So I know there's been weird cases where, you know, proven coaches who have failed will get rehired because they overall have a good, you know, track record. Um, you know, like the Rams' uh, former coach. I can't remember his name. He's so insignificant in my mind. The guy who was hired, who was, um, who. Who, who built the team before McVay Jeff got Fisher? there. Jeff uh, Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. Jeff Fisher. Yes, Jeff Fisher. 
you know, who had like one good run, you know, and one Super Bowl appearance, and then, you know, the Rams took a chance on him, and that turned out to be terrible, although he did add some studs on that team before McVay got to him, so kudos to that at least. But for Welker, this is a five-time Pro Bowler. He's he's first team, two-time first team All-Pro, two-time second team All-Pro. He's led the NFL in receptions three times in his career. He had a uh, 99-yard reception tied for the NFL record. He, um, I don't think he, did he not win? He didn't win in his career, no. didn't he? No, he didn't win. So he was just, had some odd years during his stint with the Patriots. But, um, I mean, he also played for uh, the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Rams. They, and they, he, I mean, he was there. He was in Super Bowls. He just, none of them, <laughs> he didn't win any, not on winning teams. But the point is he brings a proven track record of receiving you know, knowledge, in-depth knowledge too, because this is a proven player who played at the highest level was Tom Brady's, you know, go-to person, very much in the same vein as Julian Edelman is today. And the Patriots have had a good track record of of um, drafting or acquiring free small free agent, speedy wide receivers who are all coincidentally Caucasian too. Um, now they have Julian Edelman, and I think they had Dan, they have Danny, Danny Amendola, or they had him the last couple of years too. So small, speedy guys. He's only five nine. So Wes Welker, I think, is even smaller than Edelman. I think is uh, I think an inch taller. But I'm excited to see what he can do because we have some. That seems to be a trend that's popular right now in wide receivers. It's not the big threat, although we do have big – Michael Thomas is huge. You know, he's a very big target. He's a big wide receiver. But we have a lot of speedy wide receivers that are really good. You know, we have Tariq Hill for the for the Kansas City Chiefs, who's small and fast. We have Antonio Brown, who's 5'10 and fast. We have um, – what's his name? Junior – for the for the New York Giants, who's not big a big receiver either, he's a small, speedy kind of guy. OBJ, so a lot of uh, yeah, o- o- Odell Beckham Jr. Thank you. Um, that's a tr- most of the best receivers in the NFL, with the exception of players like Michael Thomas. I mean, even the Houston Texans' uh, number one receiver, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he's only five ten. So. Um, this is kind of the trend in the NFL right now for wide receivers. It's not the big Megatron threat right now, although we do have a couple guys that play that role. Um, most of the top receivers in the NFL are short and fast. And Wes Welker obviously played that played that role as a slot receiver, but now we have number ones that are playing that have that same size, where typically you want your number one to be the big jump ball, basketball size type of player. But now we're seeing the trend in the last few years shift over to smaller wide receivers as being the number ones. The, 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 normally what would be categorized as a slot receiver, which is where your short, fast guys are, now those guys are playing the number one spots. And so he's going to come and bring that knowledge. As He played slot, but I think it's not too much different from a number one. I think the routes, the routes are just obviously different. You're not. You're playing less intermediate routes. You're playing more the deeper post routes, of course, um, in addition to the intermediate stuff, but uh, to a lesser degree. But either way, this is a guy that's really good at route running. He he was surgical at that part of his game, which is why he played so well for as long as he did. So I think bringing that to the table to help some of our guys, you know, Dante Pettis immediately comes to mind, who is uh, kind of 
uh, actually good size, but he's mainly he's he's his his biggest asset is his speed. So if he can lock down the other half of his game, the speed will will simply come and complement those refine the, the the polish of of the remainder of his game that needs it. And so I think this is a really good hire. I'm excited about it. And I'm curious to just see what he does because, you know, I don't know a lot of former wide receivers that are coached. I think Johnny Morton, former wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, I think he's a wide receiver coach. But I don't know a whole lot that that's come back to the league into that capacity. You know, Jerry Rice has never done that, although he says if Antonio Brown comes to, to San Francisco, he would actually be active in mentoring him why why he doesn't just offer his mentorship to the to the existing cast is kind of beyond me it's, it seems like what you have to be like super good to to get coaching from jerry rice or can you not get coaching to help you become better you know it's, it's kind of a silly comment that jerry made because it made me feel like like if i was a receiver on the 49ers i'd feel a little slighted i'm just like wow it's like i have to be antonio brown just to get coached by somebody who's already good how about just help me get better you know, so that I can perhaps reach that type of level or reach that top level of wide receiver play. But anyways, I'm getting off track. Um, bottom line, Wes Welker has a proven track record. He's coached the last two years for the Houston Texans that actually have some good uh, receivers. Uh, Hopkins being the number one target out there that does well, that plays, uh, that is, is short and fast. And so I'm hoping that he really helps our young receivers do well. Because I know, I think we... We know that Pierre Garçon is definitely going to be uh, let go. And I know that uh, Goodwin has been dealing with personal issues the last two seasons. Although two years ago, it seemed to propel his game and motivate him, I think. But having back-to-back seasons with uh, similar family personal stuff going on, I think became a little too much for him psychologically. And as a result, it affected his ability on the field, unfortunately. So while I do give him crap, um, I'm going to kind of stay away from that just because it was a per, I, I actually read the report about him. You guys can look it up online. We're not going to get into it here, but, um, it's similar to what he dealt with the year before, uh, when he had his breakout season as a pro. So, um, you just couldn't necessarily bounce back from that this past season. So I don't know if the Niners want to stick with him or if they want to move on. I don't know. Personally, I think, um, I think you probably move on, um, nothing personal, just business, but uh, who knows? I mean, he has that. He has the capability of becoming. You know, he has the potential to being one of those short, fast receiving guys. We saw he, he amassed almost a thousand receiving yards. If it wasn't for that concussion in the Rams game two years ago, he certainly would have surpassed that easily. He was on his way before that hit. Um, so unfortunate that he took a step back this season. But uh, we'll see what the Niners do. Either way. Welcome, Wes Welker. Yes. Welcome, Wes Welker. Try saying that three times fast. So, Raymond, <laughs> the Warriors play tonight against the San Antonio Spurs. Spores. The San Antonio Spores, uh, we're, we're playing that. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday, February 6th. But on Saturday, I was so pumped for that game. I thought this is the perfect game to watch before tomorrow's Super Bowl. LeBron is back. We, had, we, we just ended our 11-game winning streak to the Sixers. This is a great revenge game. We've we've defeated the Lakers, but it was without LeBron. Now LeBron is back. It's his first time playing against us. This should be a mega heavyweight fight Saturday night. Let's do this. And lo and behold, he sits out. The game actually is pretty interesting. The Lakers come back. They come back in the third quarter. The, generally, that's the time we begin our big route. But instead, 
we found ourselves slowly losing the lead and then the Lakers gaining the lead. And then it all changed late in the third. I believe it was late in the third, early fourth, when our boy, Boogie Cousins, drops the dunk of dunks on Kyle Kuzma, stared over him, got the entire crowd going, got the whole team going. Then you have Iguodala coming back. He hits back-to-backs. You have Steph Curry finally making back-to-backs in threes in the fourth quarter. For the He hadn't scored the entire game. The whole team comes out. We end up in a route. We, we finish them off pretty handily, and the game ends with the Warriors on top. But it was a good game, and again, it, for me, it reminded me again of why Boogie is here. He provides that new spark. He's that new blood, and that boy has got such an attitude. It's amazing. There was there was this one Love there was it. this one point where it looked like I couldn't tell if it was someone from the Lakers staff. I, I couldn't tell who it was. It was somebody from someone from the Lakers. Again, I don't know if it was actually a player, but he's walking by. This is like in the second quarter or first quarter, really early on, and they reach out kind of like high five him, like really quick and not even like, not even like a, just like, you know, like a quick pat, like you're not even really thinking, you're just high fiving because you're crossing each other and, and you hear him, you, they, they have it on mute, but he mouths the words, don't fucking touch me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Boogie, you're so rough. I love it. <laughs> I love the attitude. He's got so much attitude. It was great. You know, uh, my wife is still getting used to him and Jessica, the whole time she watches him, she's like, man, this guy's crazy he's so rowdy i was like yeah he definitely plays with a huge chip on his shoulder i love it i think he's so fun to watch but that dunk over kuzma was the best it was actually it was my it was my uh my it was my uh phone my lock screen it was my lock screen it was just him standing over kuzma was my lock screen for a couple days here i just thoroughly enjoyed it so much i enjoyed watching it anyways what were your thoughts on on that game and the bounce back for the Warriors. Well, I thought it was I thought it was great for the most part. Clay Thompson had a bounce back game. He typically plays really good against LA every time. It is his home city, so no surprise there. His dad is actually I think the color commentator on the radio for the for the Lakers. And although LeBron James did come back, he was sore and ended up not even playing that game. So the fact that the Lakers were even in it the way they were was a little surprising, although defensively they really took Curry out of the game. And I think that made a huge difference in their ability to um, slow down the Warriors' offensive attack. But, I mean, Kevin Durant still put in 21 points. DeMarcus Cousins put in a double-double with 18 and 10. And Curry eventually got some points late in the game and put up 14. But Andre Iguodala is really the one that came in and picked up the slack you know, hitting the dunk over JaVale McGee. He also hit three threes uh, in his final three shots of the game that really kind of solidified the lead that we had. And of course, Clay Thompson led all scores with 28 points. And um, and I think that it it was unfortunate because we had just ended the 10-game win or the 11-game win streak prior to that. And I was hoping that we would have the streak still going by then, but we didn't. You know, the Bucks still lead 
the entire association with 39 wins and 13 losses. So we're only two games behind that in, in both wins and losses. We're 37 and 15. But, um, I mean, still top seed in the West uh, by, by, by no imagination. So um, still good in terms of standing, still playing well. Most of these games in this win streak, too, has been blowouts, you know, with the exception of the, the Lakers put up a decent fight. You know, the, the Sacramento Kings put up a pretty good fight, and the Celtics uh, put up a pretty good fight, too. That was a pretty good game um, uh, four games back. And now we play the Spurs tonight, so I don't really. I expect another win just because San Antonio's, you know, a shell of itself. Um, you know, the they're all the, the they're they're in rebuilding mode. So I mean, they still have a good proven system over there, and I still expect them to play well. But I don't expect it to be good enough for a win. Either way, um, the Lakers game is always a fun one, a fun matchup, just because I feel like the Lakers play with a chip on their shoulder, and most of the time they get blown out. But uh, with LeBron there, I think everyone's got a little more pep in their step, and that's certainly shown this year, um, as they did get the best of them last time. But they've lost the last two games, um, albeit have been marred by a lot of injuries as of late. But still, wins are wins. Still, a wins a win. And we have till tomorrow noon on the West Coast time. I believe it's tomorrow noon on the West Coast time to find out if AD gets uh, traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. I can tell you what, I don't think it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen, LA. I hope it doesn't. I hope you have to just, just wallow in this terrible season as you already are sitting on the outside looking into the playoffs right now. I hope you wallow. There, there's my little love letter to you guys. Any final thoughts, Raymond, on this Bryce Harper sweepstakes? I, I, I can't even get excited. Literally every team in America has been has had an update that they were in the running and are on the verge of signing Bryce Harper. I, for one, uh, you know what? Call me when he call me when he's when he's putting when he's lifting up a jersey at a press conference and he's decided who he's with. Uh, I think initially the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. I was a little skeptical because I didn't know if. Bryce Harper's, you know, he's not been a Giants fan, at least as a member of the Nationals. So I didn't know if he was going to reciprocate any type of interest from San Francisco. But the fact that we already met with him, I thought was great. Um, and there's been, you know, apparently murmurs of a mystery team. And now we see that it's the Giants. So, and we also didn't hear about it until after the meeting took place. So they've already met. Whether something comes of it is unsure of. Although typically, you know, uh, you want a contract in hand when you meet with somebody. But Majors is a little bit different. I think he's going to do the roundabout before making a decision and see what's the best fit for him. But either way, uh, he reciprocated that interest, and it's it's always a good thing when your team is talking to one of the best players in the league uh, for possibly coming over to your team. So not not a bad thing. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we'll see. I am not holding my breath. Nothing against you, Bryce Harper, but you've literally talked to every team. I believe you were talking to the MLS earlier. You were looking, you also talked to Manchester United to see what your soccer options were. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm over it. All right, Raymond, before we end, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me on twitter.com at Ray Solis, and you can also find me on Instagram at Ray Solis one. And you can find me on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD and Instagram at Rudy Solis 3. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis the First, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, this is the Gold Cast.